What up, y'all? I'm Brendan Wittig, your host, and welcome to another episode of Politics Aside, the political podcast on the That's Black Male podcast network. This episode, we're doing it a little bit differently, and it's going to be broken down into two parts. This is part one. And as always, I'm joined by D.C. litigator Edward Williams II and Florida prosecutor Adrian Moo. We ask that you follow, rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And without further ado, let's get to it. I'm so glad to be speaking with you guys again. It is uh, it's coming up on another holiday, so uh, it, it's good to hear y'all's voices again. How you doing? Ed? Uh, not too bad. You know, it is a, a long weekend. I know that we are not uh, celebrating the purpose for the uh, for the break, but uh, but as black folk, we will celebrate a break when we get one. So I'm gonna ain't nothing wrong with a good turn up, man. Like Absolutely I, I, not. I don't have a, I don't have a problem. I was thinking about that the other day when I was watching uh, stuff on my timeline. Like y'all really celebrating the fourth? Like I really celebrate Thanksgiving, even though that joint's ain't <laughs> up. So like I, can, I, I can celebrate the fourth too. How you doing, Boo? Good, good. So let's. I actually kind of wanted to 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 start um, with some positivity. I feel like I've been going running back on the last ones. Uh, and it's, it's gotten it's gotten a little it's gotten a little dark, mostly because it's dark outside. We ain't got nothing to do with that. But I right. want to start with some sort of positivity. I'm uh, you're from Savannah uh, and I'm currently in Savannah. And they just recently uh, issued a statewide mandate for masks. Masks are now um, a necessity if, if you're going out with the with perhaps a five hundred dollar fine if you're caught without one. Yeah. Um, but for cities like Savannah or and, and maybe some of these other more conservative um, states with liberal pockets, um, there's been governors who have not made it a mandate. And so specifically for a governor like Brian Kemp, uh, the governor of Georgia, um, who's advocated for wearing masks but hasn't mandated it, what are some of the, and I'll start with you, as we're, we're talking about your hometown, what are some of the, I guess, legal ramifications or, or, or legal things that we might see as a result of this kind of uh, weird duality? Well, I mean, you know, this is a pretty weird situation, right? So, so Brian Kemp is, uh, as I understand it, right now doing a tour of Georgia to advocate masks, but is completely unwilling to make them mandatory, even though the CDC, which is housed in Atlanta, Georgia, mind you, um, has made it very clear that masks are one of the easiest ways to prevent the ongoing transmission of COVID. For, from a legal perspective, I mean, you know, he could obviously input, uh, implement a uh, mandatory mask requirement, um, as have other plenty of other states. Um, my understanding is that what Brian Kemp has not done, which some uh, Republican governors had initially, um, until you know we maxed out on our like number of COVID cases. I believe we're at fifty thousand yesterday, highest number since this whole crisis started. Um, some governors, some Republican governors had not allowed the liberal pockets. So especially in Texas, Greg, Greg Abbott had not allowed places like Houston, Austin, Dallas, which wanted to implement mask uh, requirements to do so. Um, so, you know, Brian Kemp did not go that route. He's allowed uh, Savannah and, and, and uh, Atlanta and other major kind of more liberal, also more urban uh, locations to implement uh, mask requirements. Um, there are, at least in Texas, I haven't seen them yet in Georgia, but there have been some suits that have been filed against governors who have reimposed some uh, requirements. Bars have been closed. Uh, some rush interior of restaurants have been closed. Gyms have been closed. I, I believe there was a gentleman on CNN last night who owns a gym in Arizona who is suing the governor of Arizona 
for, um, for you know, closing down gyms uh, amid uh, the spike. So there will be those types of suits. I think they're also, I think they're terribly meritless. Um, you know, so the, the governors have what we would call plenary authority um, and when it comes to the health and safety of citizens. I mean, you know, there you could there are actually a, there's a better fight to be had about whether or not the president could implement a, a mandatory nationwide mask. There actually is a there is a, a an interesting constitutional question what we call a federalism question about what the federal government can do versus what states can do. But there is no question about what states can do. I mean, you know, the governor has the has the ability in the event of an emergency, which we are, you know, in case people haven't seen uh, the news lately, we are in one. <laughs> Um, and so the, the governor has the ability and just on, you know, on a personal note, you, you know, this, uh, uh, be, but mood probably doesn't, we just haven't had a chance to talk this week, but several members of my immediate family now have COVID. So, and, and they live in Savannah, Georgia. So this is, you know, this is one of those kind of a public, public announcement, right? This is not a game, right? right. People are getting sick. Um, and, and so, you know, whether your governor mandates it or not, you need to wear one and don't be one of the idiots who sues. Uh, trying to get rid of, you know, the types of things that are trying to save your life, right? This is, you know, this is with us, it's real. And and I hope that black and brown folk in particular, who are getting impacted by this the worst, are taking it seriously. And uh, regardless of what their kind of Republican Trump supporting governors are doing. Yeah, um, that was, that's been the most interesting thing. Um, I think I've mentioned earlier that, that I, I live currently in Savannah. And so I've seen a change maybe in the last couple of weeks. Like this hasn't been the, the desire or the interest in wearing a mask has not always been there um, in part because of how it kind of got rolled out uh, with, with the governorship and, and how they have kind of treated it while he has advocated for wearing a mask. That's, that's not always kind of how what what the, the the starting point was, and it's hard once you start a conversation as a, a, a politician. It's hard to completely change course. Yeah. Uh, in the middle, people people listen to what you say initially, and then they can kind of run with it. And so it's been interesting watching that change kind of in real time in a city. I'm seeing billboards now with you know Matt wearing a mask isn't a political issue which is something that I would not have said a month ago, right? I wouldn't have said I, I'm going to see this type of a response. So I think that because the cases have spiked here, um, I don't know, it's felt weird that for a lot of people, I'm not saying you at all, Eddie, but I'm saying for a lot of people, it doesn't get real until they or someone that they can yeah. kind of touch or know specifically has gotten it. And that's, that's been a little bit surprising that people just kind of were unwilling to believe it until it happened to them, because that's that's not a great way to go about learning anything. Like, regardless of, of what happened, like having to touch the stove yourself personally to know that it is hot is not a is not a good way to go about learning. That's right. That's right. No, it's it's it's, it's sad. And um, yeah, I'm 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 happy to see it's becoming somewhat less political. But you know, I believe, I can't remember who it was over the weekend said, look, you know, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor Cuomo said. You know, look, Southern governors, Republican governors played politics with the virus and they lost. I mean, this is that's that's what happened. Yep. Yeah, go and ahead. Bro. One of those Southern. Yeah, yeah. One of those Southern governors that played politics uh, who took a little victory lap a little bit too early was Governor Ron DeSantis, who was very smug when Vice President Mike Pence came down and uh, saying the media had wrongfully judged him for not 
acting swiftly enough and reopening too early. And uh, I'm reminded of the meme uh, with Paul Rudd where, look at us, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> Uh, you know, we had 50,000 case, new cases, I think, yesterday, and Florida was 10,000 of them. Yep. Uh, yep. 10,000 of the 50,000 cases in the United States. So uh, Ron DeSantis is uh, eating a lot of crow right now for his uh, er, counting his uh, chickens a little early. And it is a sort of dance these governor, Republican governors have been put into because the president of the United States, for some inexplicable reason, is so against masks. Uh, and it's unclear whether the reason is he doesn't want to be seen as weak for wearing one or he felt like if you see people in the streets wearing a mask it was kind of floated because you never quite get what's going on inside trump's head all the time it was being floated that maybe uh maybe he didn't thought the virus would seem more real to everyone if you saw people in the streets wearing masks and so he didn't want that to happen but he unnecessarily politicized this issue that is absolutely making things worse and notably uh, Herman Cain was at the Tulsa rally for Donald Trump uh, and was very proudly with, there without a mask. And now he's in the hospital with COVID-19 12 days later. So, you know, it, it's interesting to watch these Republicans try to dance around the issue. Uh, as Ed mentioned with Governor Abbott of Texas, uh, he's now issued a statewide order for masks in counties with more than 20 positive cases, which, you know, you assume in any county with a large population, you're going to see that. Um, given the spikes there, but it's like the fact that it took this long to get to that place. And even Ron DeSantis of Florida won't do it. He's like, I don't know what it would, what purpose it would serve. Well, we all know what purpose it serves. It sends a message that even if you're not going to enforce it heavily, that this is like the norm that's expected for you to go about your daily life. in. And like I mentioned uh, last pot, Tallahassee has done that. Leon County um, has a mandatory mass policy. Um, so we just got to get to this place where this is a public health crisis and we need to treat it as such. And it should be coming from the federal government, namely the White House. Um, but you're seeing uh, that's just not being done. And Mike Pence is now getting some flack for going to a mega church uh, where a bunch of the people in the choir are coming down with COVID-19, where he went and attended this packed church and nobody was wearing masks. Uh, so, you know, it's it's predictable. It's predictable and it could it should have been preventable when we're plus 125,000 of our fellow citizens having died from this disease. Do you think that we would know like just to kind of because this came into my mind as you were talking about uh, Mike Pitts attending a church where people have tested positive. Uh, there have been several people in and around the White House that have tested positive. Do you think that we would know if Mike Pence or President Trump tested positive for coronavirus? Oh, man. <laughs> it's so hard to say because you can't believe anything coming out of their mouths, right? They lie about all things big and small, starting from the inauguration, right? They lied to us about crowd size at the inauguration. Like our eyes didn't see all that free space. Uh, they draw on hurricane maps of hurricanes. Like that's official that, you know, okay, well, I guess Trump broke up the Sharpies, so... That, those are facts now. Um, it's so hard to know whether they would tell us the truth if either of them contracted it. My gut instinct is to say there's no chance they would tell us the truth yeah. because it would be such a political blow. I mean, we've had people, you know, really close to Mike Pence test positive. Uh, Stephen Miller's wife, uh, who works for Mike Pence, Stephen Miller, who is a particularly terrible person, particularly <laughs> awful, <laughs> racist policy maker. 
Yep. Uh, but, you know, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I don't know that you can believe anything coming out of the White House. Uh, there, look, I believe this. There is no way. It's July 2nd when we're recording this. There's no way we get to November 3rd, which is Election Day, um, without Trump and or Pence getting COVID. Not possible. Not. I mean, it's just they're, they're going to get it. And they're going to get it because they keep engaging in politically somewhat, I guess, beneficial, at least in their mind, but health-wise, incredibly risky activities. There were 100 choir members aspirating for an hour in front of a closed church where Mike Pence was sitting on the front row, right? I mean, you can only, there are only so many, like, times you can get through total praise without, (laughs) like, enough of the the disease getting out into into the congregation, right? And so it's just... Uh, and, and Trump is, is going to continue to do these rallies. He has the uh, event at Mount Rushmore this weekend, um, which is an outdoor event, so should be theoretically somewhat safer um, than the than the kind of the closed door event he did um, last week in Tulsa, uh, and safer than the event that the church event that Mike Pence was at. But you know his poll numbers are you know terrible. I'm not watching the polls, but that's what I hear. Um, <laughs> I put an asterisk on that. I still am not watching the polls, but I hear they're bad. Um, and what that's, I mean, that means he's going to keep trying to do things like, you know, these types of rallies or, or events where it puts himself in close proximity with large groups of people. Um, and the country is surging with coronavirus. Like, I mean, the safest places to be in the country right now are the places that were the least safe to be, you know, two months ago, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, DC, basically the Northeastern corridor, DC North, reasonably safe. Right. I mean, we, D.C. is doing it's actually doing a really good job with the coronavirus um, so far. Virginia is doing a decent job. Um, and so, you know, but the rest of the country, including places like California that got ahead of this relatively early, are now back into serious danger. So, you know, he, when he goes to Texas to do his next big rally you know, or, or wherever he, you know, he thinks his next big rally is going to be, he's going to put himself in another environment. And you can only do that so many times. Like This is a virus. This is not this virus does not care about whether or not he's the president. You know, it's like he is a human host. <laughs> it only, well, we think most of the time. I mean, yeah, there, there are questions about this. But, but we presume him to be uh, a human person uh, who, you know, can contract diseases. And so if that's, you know, true, then, then it's inevitable. This is, not a, this is really not a question about, um, about politics as much as the question about kind of like stark facts in the face of reality, right? This is just, it's inevitable, so. Yeah, and to add to that, uh, we're talking about can we get the truth in the White House? The, Donald Trump went before the nation and told us he was taking uh, an anti-malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine, and we don't know if that's true or not. We don't we don't know whether to believe the White House doctor if he says Trump's taking this drug. That by now now we're all the authorities are saying do not take this. Right, you are more likely to hurt yourself or kill yourself taking this drug uh, than help yourself. But he was like hawking it as this like miracle because he needed this you know miracle drug to be out there to say oh the end's in sight quickly, and, and it was killing people. And so there's no way to know about getting the truth out of this White House because they lie. If you lie about the small things, you lie about the big things, and I think they do both all the time. That's what Mama said. Yeah. Well, I exactly. mean, you know, his, his personal doctor said that he was like the the healthiest person that he had ever. <laughs> 
Exactly. So I don't know what y'all were talking about, but right, a seventy-four year old, three hundred pound man who eats fast food on a regular basis. Yes, yes. Who believes that? Who doesn't exercise because he believes that your the human body is like a battery, and eventually you just run out of energy. So now it's a, prove it wrong. Makes sense to it. Makes uh, yeah. Prove makes sense wrong. Okay. You're right. You're right. What do, What do I know? I'm just someone who works out regularly to try to maintain good heart health. You know, loser. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'll, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, President Trump's opponent. Um, he was recently asked, with all the the shifting and taking out of names and monuments across the country, about specifically Christopher Columbus and Thomson, Thomas Jefferson's statues. And essentially, his reply was, "You know, we need to protect these." And is this what we are? Is this what is pr- pretty much him getting? Is this why he's there pretty much just to not be Trump? Is that his, is that going to be his biggest calling card uh, in terms of November? Is just that like, hey, I'm not super liberal. I'm not really super progressive on anything else, but I'm not President Trump. And so therefore, I am infinitely better, uh, e- even without necessarily having any sort of. I don't know that pull that I really want to vote for Biden is really it's me, really anybody but Trump. And I'll start with you, Moon. Yeah, so from the quotes I saw, I get where he's coming from. I think there was this is a easily enough he could have threaded this needle pretty easily if he'd given it a little more thought, um, because it, it's easy enough to say you know we obviously can't condone vandalism, you know, but you know you don't need to be out here diving in front of political bullets for these statues, um, especially to Columbus, who I, I don't know what his notable contribution to this country would have been. Period. You know, with Thomas Jefferson, you know, obviously a slaveholder um, raped his uh, one of his slaves, Sally Hemings, and fathered children with her, um, never freed her until he died. Um, you know, because I grew up in Virginia and, you know, we took the trips to his plantation, Monticello, uh, in Virginia. And, you know, the point always, because, you know, you see conservatives say, well, if you're going to take down the Confederate statues, what's next? The Washington Monument, the, the, the Jefferson memorial and it's we don't honor jefferson and washington because they were slaveholders they absolutely were they were terrible slaveholders like they were not they, they just were we don't honor them because of that right we honor them for their despite that for the things they did other than that and that's where you can't you know that's where these confederate monuments don't make any sense because you're honoring them because they took up arms against the united states of america which you should not be honoring it in the same way that people always you know, make the comparison is you don't you go to Germany, you don't see any statues or things honoring uh, Nazis. And I think he could have easily said that, you know, that we need to have a debate about who we honor and how we honor them. You know, obviously, we're not going to condone vandalism, but we should have a conversation about whether these statues should be up or not. And I think he could have answered that way. And that would have been perfectly acceptable, uh, rather than saying that we need to protect these things. Like, I, I just, you know, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, look, um, first, we're voting for this guy. This is our guy. This is the only guy we got. This is what we're doing. So let me just get, you know, uh, you know, uh, I believe James Baldwin, James Baldwin said, um, like, America is my country, and I love her, and therefore I deserve the right to perpetually, like, critique her or criticize her. I, look, I'm a Democrat. Biden's our nominee. This is what we're doing. I, I you know, have my views about who I would have preferred to have been the nominee. But 
you know what, he's our guy now. And um, but I, but because of that, I also deserve the right to perpetually criticize him. Not so much that he doesn't get elected, but enough to know that, like, you know, he's making errors. This was a this was this was an, a, a kind of a weird mistake to make because uh, monument like monuments have been coming down for weeks. Like this seemed like this should have been a kind of top of mind. Um, and the question wasn't even it was a softball question. I don't remember the reporter who asked it. But she asked him basically, like, should Woodrow Wilson's name have been taken off the building at, at uh, Princeton, who recently removed uh, President Wilson's uh, name from one of their buildings or from their policy school? Um, and he, his first part of the answer was, I think institutions should make their own decisions about names. And I was like, OK, uh, not great, because we're also fighting about right now about whether military bases should uh, continue to bear Confederate names. But then he got to the second half of the answer, which is like, you know, obviously these Confederate you know, folks should not be honored, et cetera. So I was like, OK, fine. And then he just drifted into a part of the question that wasn't asked mm. about Thomas Jefferson, Christopher Columbus, George Washington. And, and, then, and then the assertion that we should, quote unquote, protect these statues. I was like, OK, you took a really good part A and just fumbled it all up in part B. And that's what's going to be the that's the Joe Biden presidency, guys. That's going to be that's going to be the next four years. We hope, right? He's going to get some stuff kind of right, and then we're going to wish he had stopped while he was ahead. <laughs> and going, and that's that's just what it's going to be. Um, I'll take that over what we have now. The right answer on on George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, um, and all the other um, framers of our constitution and of our uh, country who owned people despite their declarations of freedom and you know the need for uh for we the people um is that they should be contextualized right so thomas jefferson's memorial which is one of actually i think one of the most beautiful memorials in dc it's, it's right on um right off of the the tidal basin it's you know this kind of huge like omnipresent like structure um it should say uh thomas jefferson President of the United States, um, you know, theologian. He actually like he had like his own Bible. He actually didn't uh, ascribe to like King James version of the Bible. It's like cut out passages and developed his own kind of theological perspective. Wow. He was like a wine, you know, connoisseur and like brought wine over from France after he was ambassador. Like he's actually a very interesting historical figure. Um, but he owned people, and so his statue should say, "Wine connoisseur, President of the United States, theologian, and slaveholder." who, despite his, like, you know, assertions for a freedom, felt it was appropriate or acceptable to own and rape people. And, like, that should be on the monument. And 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 so when a school-aged child, an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old, makes their trip to Washington, D.C. to visit the Jefferson Memorial, the, what they should read on the inscription is president, historian, et cetera, and a person who held slaves and raped them. And 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 the conversation should be about that holistic person and not just the president, and not just uh, you know, kind of the ambassador to France and one of the framers of the Constitution. Like, and, and one of the problems is that Amer Americans, in particular, and maybe this is true for all countries and all people, we have a mythology around people, and we just we 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 mythologize people, or um, I think Dr. Carr would call it the Santa Clausification of people. <laughs> like, we just do this like weird, you know, this thing where we 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 allow people who are historically uh, important figures to be absent from the criticism of history. Um, I mean, and it's not just George Washington, Thomas Jefferson and Woodrow Wilson and Lincoln. Um, it's also Dr. King and a host of other, like even people in our own community that get like this mythology gets developed around who they were. I mean, uh, we saw this like right around when Black Lives Matter first started. 
all the white people we knew were quoting Dr. King. There was this like, you know, nonviolence is important. And everyone just skipped over the part where he said like, you know, the riot is the language of the unheard or toward the end of his life when he was like, you know, basically if there's no economic justice, you're not gonna have any real peace in this country. Like, and so we just kind of skip over the parts that make us uncomfortable. Um, but we, and we don't deal with like the real human, uh, these were people, like these were people who lived in a certain time in a certain context um, and made serious moral, in the case of slavery, serious moral errors. Like, I mean, you know, he saw, he saw what he wanted, you know, Sally Hemings, talking about Thomas Jefferson, working out in his field and decided that he was going to, like, he was going to rape her. And like, I, there's a, a same story around that, right? Like there was all this conversation a few years ago about how, she, like, you know, they had children together. They didn't have children together. He owned her, right? Like he, 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 she couldn't say no. Right. Uh, you know, she wasn't in some like consensual romantic relationship with him. And so, uh, and so I think that we should just, when it comes to monuments, there's an easy answer here. And I hope, I hope Biden or someone on his team is listening. We should forward the podcast to them. No problem. I'll just add him. I'll just add him on Twitter. Don't worry about it, bro. And just like, look, here's the, here's your, here's your answer. Free of charge. I won't charge you for this one. I'll charge you for the next one. You can, you can, you can run me some coins though. Just, I'm going to just let you know. Yeah. Agreement. But here's your answer on monuments. Historical people can be celebrated for their historical accomplishments and contextualized for their moral failings. And we should do both in how we actually memorialize them in the monuments we have now. And to the extent that's not done, we should do it. That's the answer. Repeat it, wash it, say that until November. Like that's 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 what we that's that's the only right answer here. Rinse, repeat. I, I'm actually <laughs> of the opinion that we probably shouldn't have any more statues. I I come at this from a sports uh, media kind of kind of angle uh, because there have been so many people who have had Joe Paterno and Jerry Reggie say like, like there, there's a litany of, of people who have had statues because they did something at some point that was really great usually for you know hey you, you helped found this you know you brought the Washington uh, football franchise down to Washington from, from the upper northeast area great you were also yep. you know very um an advocate of keeping your Washington team, which later has now has a racial, currently has a racial slur, uh, but making sure right. that they were the last integrated team uh, in the NFL, yep. right? Like so, it having having this these statues kind of deifies these people to your point, um, where they can't be criticized because if you if you're you have a monument towards a person, to me that yep. does have. I mean, you're literally standing above and beyond everyone else, and that's just. Knowing humans, that's not how any of us do. Like, none of us are perfect. Now, granted, slaveholding is like, <laughs> that's, that's really bad. But, like, there are, there are other things that lots of other people did in their personal life. You mentioned Dr. King. Yeah. That don't reflect yeah. great on, on anybody. Even you can, you can do great things. I don't yeah. know if that necessarily makes you a great person. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not as interested in that conversation. But just the idea of this kind of quasi-deification of these people. I just think that maybe now we've learned enough to know that, hey, maybe you can, you can, you know, have historical remnants of things that these people did without being monuments to people. That's just, it just, the more and more we learn about a lot of, you know, the people that we hold so dear, it gets a little rough when you start figuring out a little bit more about their personal life or, or even some of their professional stuff. So what you're saying is you're not going to be on my statute committee. Got it. Oh, no. I would turn that down off GP. Like, I, I, I don't care what you did. Like, I'd be the first one there. Tear it down. 
build a wall. I mean, like whatever I would need to do, lock her up, like all of that. And I'd be like, no, absolutely not. I'm not here for it. Burn it to the absolute ground. Uh, we, started, we started this conversation about Biden, um, and we and we had a little bit of a group chat about it. I wanted to kind of just ask you because you all had expressed some displeasure general displeasure with the the way the democratic ads had kind of rolled out and i and now i feel like i need a button every time to say like hey we're still we're still going to advocate and vote for joe biden that's not what i'm saying here i'm just i'm more asking more general questions um i just want you guys to expound a little bit on any shortcomings or any disappointments that you've seen with the ad campaign so far and i'll, I'll start with you move so my issue and i think edward kind of shares it with uh with the democrats is we are so cautious with everything we do we are afraid that we will step incorrectly we see the polls right now and we are cautiously optimistic and we don't want to fumble a lead we don't want to pull a falcons right you know you don't want to be what was it 28 3 mm-hmm. you know you don't want to be up 28 3 on this on this pod right now. <laughs> but uh, speaking of monuments, now there's a monument. I, <laughs> I can get um, but yeah, you know, you don't want to. You don't. The Democrats are just nervous Nellies when it comes to this stuff, and um, you see people like uh, these four, not even former Republicans. They're still current Republicans uh, who are coming out, and they started, you know, this organization called the Lincoln Project, which seems to exist solely to uh, needle the president of the United States. They're like, not even, I guess, that well-funded. They may be getting better funded now, but they're putting uh, ads out in the DC market solely to catch the attention of the president of the United States, so much so that in an area that the president is not going to win, he is going to lose terribly, his people feel they need to coddle him enough that they have to run ads in DC. A Republican is not gonna win Washington, DC. It's not gonna happen, ever. But they feel that they ha- his, the Trump campaign feels like they have to run ads in the D.C. area to make Trump feel bad, better about himself because he's seeing these ads from the Lincoln Project. And, you know, the Lincoln Project is, you know, composed of these, you know, never Trumpers, Rick Wilson, George Conway being among the two of them. George Conway being notable because he is married to White House spokeswoman Kellyanne Conway of uh who's made famous for saying, I guess, the alternative facts existed oh, in yeah. certain circumstances. Uh, and also notable, also, they are the parents, George Conway and Kellyanne Conway, the parents of Claudia Conway, of notable TikTok fame for making anti-Trump TikToks. Yes. Uh, but to get back to the Lincoln Project, they are just making a series of just hard-hitting ads that get straight to the point to demonstrate to voters not just... Trump's personality flaws and how what a terrible person he is, but connecting to that to why he's a bad, ineffective, dangerous president. President, and that is what Democrats have struggled so hard to do is they always make uh, arguments about what a bad person he is, and they fail to connect it to how his bad personality connects to policy, connects to making him dangerous. And we're seeing it borne out in the coronavirus, and I think, and also with the Black Lives Matter movement in the protests, you're seeing. And the polls reflect how bad he is, how dangerous he is, how unfit he is. And these ads from the Lincoln Project have been just incredibly hard hitting. And we talked about this and I'll let Edward kind of address the point on this. But 
I just want to remind people, while I enjoy George Conway and Rick Wilson's stuff right now, these are the same people that will go back once Joe Biden hopefully wins to advocating for the same terrible fiscal policies that conservatives have been pushing for years. So while I enjoy their help right now, and I'll take all their help, I'm watching them. I'm watching them still. Cause like <laughs> they're going to go right back to it, right? This is a very t- temporary truce, and I'll take it. It's like in risk. We have a very temporary time, like constrained truce, and I will take it and honor it. But uh, after 2020, I think the truce is over. Yeah, look, I mean, look, there, there are no, uh, there are no permanent friends or enemies in politics, only permanent interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, our interests are aligned with uh, George, George Conway, who is a Republican, who will be a Republican uh, November 3rd when he votes for Joe Biden, and will be a Republican on January 21st, uh, hopefully when Joe Biden is inaugurated, um, and will immediately begin to start pushing to reform the Republican Party uh, in a way that he feels is consistent with uh, what's required uh, what he believes are his brand of conservatism. But um, but the Lincoln Project is just doing a remarkably better job at attacking the president than Democrats. I mean, you know, there were some really good Biden ads early on when the coronavirus initially hit and the daily briefings were happening. There was a good kind of, um, you know, what happened to February ad, you know, that was kind of like, you know, the president said, okay, I closed down our border with China in January. And then the next thing he talks about is what happened in March. And there's this like missing month. There was a really good ad about kind of what the president wasn't doing and when he should have been acting. Um, but the Lincoln Project is for now, I think, the most effective weapon at getting, uh, getting you know, President Trump out of office because they are, like Mood was saying, connecting his inaction in this case um, and, and some of his and his failures uh, to bad leadership. Um, you know, the other thing they're doing, which I have found surprising, and I, I do have a few friends who are Republicans still. Uh, I don't know how they tolerate me, but I have them. And um, they have been up in arms over the last week because the Lincoln Project is now attacking Republican senators in vulnerable districts. That I'm actually shocked by because they're still Republicans. So the idea that they would start going after Susan Collins, um, which they have, um, that they're going after Cory Gardner, which they, I mean, and what they've said is they, and they're, they're kind of, I guess their lead person um, has said, look, we said from the beginning when we, when we initiated this project that we are going to get rid of Trump and his enablers, period, full stop. And, and what, and what it signaled to me is that what the Lincoln project is really about, and I, and I actually hope they're successful in their goal is reestablishing the Republican party as a moderate conservative party um, or, or okay, you know, center, you know, right of center party, um, as it at least was uh, probably more under George W. Bush um, and and under his father. And so I think that there is some sense of like trying to get back to that version of republicanism. Now, granted, I don't like that version of republicanism either, but at least that version says um, that there is more middle ground than there are kind of spaces in between. And I I think that that's right. I mean, this is consistent. Uh, you guys will likely remember in, in 2008 when, uh, or in, in 2008 going to 2009 when Obama beat McCain, Republican Party did this whole shakedown, right? They said, <clears throat> we'll get to rethink Republicanism. We are like, we, we're not really, you know, talking to the blacks like we need to. I'm sure they call us the blacks. And then <laughs> uh, talk to the, to the Hispanics and Latinos. And um, and, they, and they actually made really, they, that was their like official party platform position was, we need to find a way to reincorporate 
minorities who are going to become a majority demographic. We need to think about how we actually are responsive to concerns about racial bias and issues like that. Um, and they actively recruited and started to recruit uh, black and brown folks into the party. Um, now, two years later, uh, or very shortly thereafter, the Tea Party sprung up, and then they decided to co-opt the Tea Party instead of continuing along the line that they were on. Because of, I, um, oh my God, what's his name? Michael, uh, their their RNC chair in Michael Steele. Michael Steele. So yeah, so they made Michael Steele RNC chair and said, hey, we now have a black man running the party and we're gonna really be serious about finding middle ground on issues like criminal justice reform and a host of other uh, things where we think there's, there's room for us to recruit uh, black and brown folks to our cause. Um, the Tea Party came in and was the complete opposite. It was the Southern strategy rehash and, and Republicans said, well, they have all the energy now, so we're gonna go with that. And that's how we got Trump. Like that's how Republicans got Trump. So I think what the Lincoln Project is really about is going back to the 2008, 2009 plan for Republicanism, which is a broader tent, accepting that white folks aren't gonna be the majority for much longer, trying to figure out how they can have a party that actually survives for another hundred years. Um, I hope they're successful. I mean, you know, they're gonna be my opposition, right, as a, as a Democrat, but I'd much rather have opposition that at least accepts that like democracy is a thing we should, we should have, right? Because right now, the current, the Trumpism uh, of the GOP will like has no appreciation or willingness to accept um, the right of Democrats to even exist in the world or to have uh, political beliefs, but most certainly not our right to, or our attempts at persuading people of the correctness of our ideas. So, um, so we'll, you know, I wish them all the best, both in their short-term and long-term goals up to the point that they start beating us and then i hope that they fail miserably so what's so what's the vibe is the vibe that you think that there is a larger contingent of that uh let's uh wish i how should i call it um, more moderate thinking republicans uh or is are are there more on the trump side of like kill burn slash win at any cost sort of Republicans. We I'll I'll go right back to you, Ed, and, and you chime in too. Look, there are um if you are a Trump supporter right now, four years in, you are not a Lincoln Project Republican. You're just not, right? Um but whether you could be a Lincoln Project Republican when the you know the the I don't know whatever the scales come off your eyes and you realize for the last four years you've been in some kind of weird twilight zone um that is like reminiscent of both you know the civil war era and segregation era and you know all the other kind of terrible ills um maybe but to be fair they don't need for that to be true right there can be 20 25 percent trumpers in the world and there can be 25 to 30 percent of like center right moderates economic uh conservatives and there are probably only 25 or 30% Biden Democrats in the world as well, or in our country as well. The rest of our party, um, and, and maybe even including, I think that I, you know, probably at this point, ascribe myself to be a, a Warren Democrat. Like I, I'm like a progressive with plans, right? Like, so, so I think that that puts me to the left of well, Biden and, and maybe some of the more kind of uh, left of center moderate. So so it's always going to be about coalition building and and they will have to have a conversation i think after they get trump out of, the, out of office i'm sure it's the conversation they're thinking to have is how many of the trumpers can we bring over are not really trumpers we're only trumpers for personality reasons for getting out their kind of white rage reasons like whatever um and then how many 
of the moderate uh, liberals when progressive liberals start winning will be in play, right? Like that's going to be, and I, I don't know the answer to that. So I, I think that, but that's the right conversation. I think the right conversation that we have, we had is how many of the non-extremists in both parties to some extent, can we get together to more or less move the direction we think the country should go? Um, I don't know the answer to that, uh, but I, but I, I feel like it's a much more competitive fight than the one we seem to be in right now. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see a lot of people getting off board uh, just yet. Trump's poll numbers aren't bad enough yet. I'm starting to see articles about musings about in the White House and amongst, particularly as Ed mentioned, Senate Republicans who are in very challenging races, uh, particularly uh, Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, who should not have been in a comp competitive race, but now is. Uh, I think Republicans and Mitch McConnell uh, who mentioned uh, recently that he's worried about Democrats changing the rules if they take the Senate, which is ironic. He said it with no sense of irony, uh, but he's worried about Senate, and which making reference to us getting rid of the filibuster, which we absolutely should, should we take the chamber. Um, you know, they're starting to get nervous because you're Cory Gardner, I think, is pretty much done. It's a wrap, I think. But obviously, go to your polls and vote like it ain't. Uh, Corey Garner's underwater. Um, our Arizona senator um, running against Mark Kelly, yes. I think, is in underwater. Like, I think they're yeah. getting to the points where uh, the GOP is looking at giving up on those seats. Right? Uh, we have a close race in Alabama. Like, it's. I mean, I don't think Doug Jones is going to hold on to that seat. But you know, running against a former college football coach. Uh, oh yeah, uh, could happen. was it Tuberville? Is that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah? Just beat out Jeff Sessions uh, for his old seat. Uh, but you know, we're, we're in a landscape now where all of these senators, Susan Collins, is having to answer for Kavanaugh now. Uh, she, for the longest, kept talking about Kavanaugh would support Roe v. Wade and respect precedent. And then, as we're going to get to, uh, oh wait, he voted to undo it. He like. No, 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 no. These Republican senators are, you know, got the albatross of Trump hanging around their neck, but they also know they need those Trump voters. Um, so I think we're watching the erosion of support. But like, yeah, if you were on the Trump train, you are not a Lincoln Project Republican because we're talking about people that uh, were on the never. They saw the danger that Trump presented. They were not on board at all. And uh, chickens are coming home to roost for a lot of these elected Republicans right now as they try to figure out how to best, you know, straddle supporting the president, but also like not wanting him to like come to their state and shake hands or wrap arms with them. Like, just like, I want your supporters, but not you. Right. That's real. Um, well,